Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Hi, everyone. All right. We are polishing off our halfway mark, not only in the book of Acts, obviously, but uh, with my current batch of six episodes. What do you think of this format? Let us know in the comments or message us on social media. We are curious to hear your thoughts. In today's episode, I want to discuss the meaning and purpose of this council section. We have been going through, and then next episode, we will work our way through chapter 16. At one level, Luke wrote to record the amazing way in which God brought unanimity, unanimity, I'm not saying that word right, an agreement to a potentially disastrous situation in the early church. God guided the debate and the decision-making process, protecting the church from error and division, and allowing the respective missions to Jews and Gentiles to flourish separately, but in harmony together. The various contributions of Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, and then James directed attention to the action of God in recent history and its significance for understanding the way of salvation and the fulfillment of Scripture. Highlighting the need for a practical resolution of the problem presented by the Judaizers. This chapter was a necessary conflict that needed to be debated, especially in the ferreting out what God's will was in the matter. Luke's narrative in this section promotes the idea that the task of the church isn't to dictate God's actions, but to discern it, not to close up the word of God, but to open them honestly and with humility. The outcome of this council was a complete rejection of the Pharisaic alternative. And in Peterson's commentary of the, uh, I believe, the uh, Pillar Commentary series, he says, however, Acts 15 is not simply commending a particular process of decision-making and the ideal of a community united in discovering and applying the will of God. Subtly and surely, Luke's uses, uses the apostles' statements to shape a new definition of the people of God as one based on messianic faith rather than on ethnic origin or ritual observance. We find an important manifestation of the church as an entity involving local congregations in partnership, working together to maintain the truth of God's word and promote the work of the gospel. The Jerusalem Council makes the gospel of salvation by faith alone the key to defining the true nature of this church which involves Jewish and Gentile believers together. This council was really the blueprint for... That was the end of his his section right there, but this council was really the blueprint for future councils that that have taken place so that the, the church might resolve their theological differences. We see some of these come to the forefront in church history with the Council of Nicaea at 325 A.D., Luke's narrative is rhetorically shaped and designed to show readers the significance of the events 
for their lives and for their church context. The narrative forcefully highlights a theological message that God's purpose for the Gentiles is salvation without circumcision. Christians in every age are bound to consider as of first importance the application of this theological principle in their own context. A second paradigmatic point about the narrative might be a pattern for resolving church problems in a harmonious way, but only when due regard is paid to the unique and unrepeatable aspects of the Jerusalem Council as presented to us by Luke. All right, so let's finish the last uh, five or so verses of uh, chapter 15. This is Acts 15, 36 through 41, ESV. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone to, with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to go to the grace, excuse me, by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria, Sicilia, strengthening the churches. All right, so some scholars say this begins Paul's second mission journey, but really this is just one part of bringing Paul's mission to the Gentile nations to the center stage. Luke also has another purpose for this bridge passage. He shows how Paul and Barnabas were agreed on the strategy to revisit and strengthen the churches, but divided in their attitude to a potential colleague. And Luke doesn't hide their sharp disagreement or the sadness of their parting company. At the same time, he shows that good actually came out of this situation, with two mission teams being formed, and both teams being commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. In other words, although Paul took the harder line, he did not lose the support of the church in Antioch. In verses 36 through 38, if you notice the phrase, sometime later, it's used regularly by Luke to say, hey, this is a new section, okay? So, I want you to really take note of this this idea. Whenever it says sometime later, like in Acts 18, 1, 21, verse 15, chapter 24, verse 1, uh, and in verse 24 of chapter 24, chapter 25, verse 1, chapter 28, verse 11, and then also in verse 17. So all those sections, there's a, there's a, there's a passage of time that, that takes place. Barnabas appears to have agreed with Paul's proposal to go back and visit all the towns where they had preached the gospel and see how they were doing. However, when Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, a serious division emerged. Perhaps it was his family connection. Mark is called the cousin of Barnabas in Colossians 4.10. But more likely, it was the character of Barnabas to give those who failed a second chance. Interestingly, it is believed that this is the same Mark who ended up writing Peter's depiction of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospel of Mark. Luke gives more space to explaining why Paul was opposed to this proposal. 
suggesting the need to justify Paul's harder line. Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, indicating the blameworthiness of Mark's departure in 13.13, Acts 13.13, and had not continued with them in the work, indicating that Mark could not be trusted to finish what he started. Paul considered that the work of the gospel would be at risk if John Mark accompanied them again. We don't know how bad the disagreement was, namely whether or not anger was involved, but it did result in friends separating. Sometimes disagreements among Christians seem to be intractable because they arise from differences of experience, insight, or character. In this case, the partners disagreed about the wisdom of taking a colleague on a long and arduous journey with a small team requiring unanimity, trust, and mutual support. When the person himself had previously proved to be unreliable in the course of a similar undertaking. Marshall, uh, the biblical scholar, describes it as a classic example of the perpetual problem of whether to place the interests of the individual or of the work as a whole first. And there's no rule of thumb for dealing with it. Luke does not hide the seriousness of the situation, showing that they finally parted company because John Mark had previously left them. There are two words that play off one another in Greek here. Apokoristenai in verse 39, and then also in Acts 13, 13, apokoresis, when Paul separated. Barnabas is not mentioned again in Acts, though in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, he's mentioned as a colleague of Paul again. And so the validity of this, his confidence in Mark is later shown by Paul's later acceptance of Mark as a colleague. So obviously there's a, there's a happy ending here. But Luke does not pass judgment on either party, but indicates the good that came out of the separation because two mission teams were formed. Barnabas took Paul... Or excuse me, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, covering the first stage of the proposed revisitation of the churches. Paul's choice of Silas as his partner is particularly significant in the context. He represents the unity of purpose between Jerusalem and the mission launched from Antioch, a unity achieved through the Jerusalem Agreement. Silas was one of the emissaries from Jerusalem chosen to accompany Paul and Barnabas on the return to Antioch with the letter from the council. His way of encouraging and strengthening believers in verse 32 clearly commended him to Paul as the subtle or suitable mission partner. The second journey began from Antioch as the first one did, with the leaders commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Let's finish up with, in uh, this episode with Peterson's commentary. Traveling overland this time, Paul and Silas went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches, initially covering the area specifically addressed in the letter from Jerusalem. They were possibly following the route of the false teachers as they made their way towards South Galatia. This meant walking through the narrow pass in the Tarsus Mountains, known as the Sicilian Gates, and traversing some rugged territory before reaching Derby. Luke gives us no details about the founding of churches in Syria or Sicilia, but Galatians one twenty one and verse 23 indicates that some of Paul's earliest evangelistic endeavors were in that region. What should we make of this separation of Paul and Barnabas? 
First, were they first they were men, not angels, flawed humans, even those mighty missionaries will sometimes face moments of contention. I'm thankful for this dose of harsh reality here in the in Acts because many dream of doing ministry in a perfect church. Certain that a perfect pastorate or a lay leader role is out there, but it's not. To fix our thoughts on the idea that there might be this ministerial pornography, which appeals to the lustful hearts of idealists, which thirst is never satisfied as they bounce from one church to the next in hoping of finding the ideal post. We will all encounter relational challenges while doing God's work, so let's walk humbly and gracefully before God and one another. We should also be encouraged that God sovereignly worked through the conflict to achieve his purposes. The result of the split is that instead of one mission journey, there are two. This doesn't imply that all Christian arguments are justified. This text doesn't give us a warrant to complain, murmur, and quarrel with other brothers and sisters. These are sinful behaviors, but it tells us God can work through all sorts of means to advance his gospel. He can even bring about growth through separations. This split surely wounded both men, for through it, Barnabas lost the companionship of the most powerful missionary of all time, and Paul may have lost the friendship of a man to whom he was greatly indebted. Yet through pain and the conflict, the gospel marches on. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire. 